Well, welcome to uh, church today, and if you are new with us, let me catch you up to speed. We've been in a mini-series that we've called God Never Said That, and basically um, we've just been communicating things that maybe we say uh, culturally, like some cultural expressions uh, that we often say, that we often even recite to each other, but uh, the problem is God never said them. We attribute them to Him or to Scripture, and I think a, a lot of times um, we do that thinking that maybe it's in there or or it's close, and so we throw it out there and we say, well, this is what, what the Bible says, but it actually does not say that. And so for three weeks we've been doing that. We talked about God just wants you to be happy. And uh, we talked about that really there's a, a lot more to happiness or to our lives than, than happiness, that God really wants us to pursue holiness. And God is the source. Happiness is not the source. Happiness is a symptom of finding a source. And so as we go after God, our happiness increases as we become more aware of who He is and who we are in Him. And so last week we talked about everything happens for a reason, and uh, we basically um, spent most of our time uh, talking about the differences between systems and sovereignty about how God puts some things in motion. They're in motion because he told them to be in motion. But then there are times that through his hand, through his will, um, through his own purpose and ideas, he interrupts his own system and, and through, through sovereignty. And uh, so we talked about everything happening for a reason. So here's our false theological statement for this morning. Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. This may be the most overused expression that people use to advise each other, to give each other counsel. I'll say, hey, listen, when it all boils down, just follow your heart, okay? And it sounds so inspirational, and it sounds so spiritual, okay? But when you really pull all the layers away, just follow your heart is really no more than the foundation of every single movie on the Hallmark Channel. Okay, just follow your heart. All right, you want to know how Blake Shelton got rich? He sang songs about a truck and a dog and a follow your heart. Right? That's how he made all of his money. And when we say follow your heart, we do it with good intention. Like there's no harm there. There's nothing wrong with saying it. It's not like we're not we're being bad Christians by advising people to follow your heart, but it's not exactly dialed in. It's not spot on and we do it with great intention, but it could also be frightening. Because I want you to think about a time when you following your heart would not have been healthy for you. A season, a moment, a, a, a relationship, that there was something in your life happening when following your heart was actually very unhealthy for you, that you needed somebody to step in, you needed God to give you something greater than what was going on internally, and so following your heart was actually terrible counsel. And the Bible actually warns us about our, our heart. It warns us about following it. And I want to set the stage this morning for just kind of where I'm going. And I want to take you to Jeremiah chapter 17. 
and I'm going to read verses 5 through 9. And so let's do that together. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 9. This is what he says. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Verse 6. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And then he takes a hard right here in verse 9, and he says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is beyond cure. Who can understand it? Okay? And so I want us to park there for just a moment that, that this Old Testament prophet is giving us a nugget of wisdom when it comes to our internalization of what's happening in our lives and our own ability to navigate that without the, without the Holy Spirit. The heart is deceitful above all things, he says. Greater than any other construct that you have that God gave you, the heart has the tendency to deceive you the most, to make you think something is right when it's really wrong. And he said, and there's no cure. From the point that you're born to the point that you die, you'll always wrestle with the deception of the heart. And I think if we went a little bit further, it would go on to say, and he would go on to develop principle to say and communicate to us that this is something that we got to get a handle on that we've got to have wisdom about this area, that we've got to recognize it, that our heart is beyond cure, it is deceptive, that there's nothing like it, who can understand it, who can comprehend it. And so he's, he's telling us something really big and, and deep here. I want to give you just a few examples of following your heart. Now keep in mind that when the, the heart was mentioned in the Old Testament, they're talking about it being the seat of emotion. That, that everything we do is flowing from it. It's got a, it's got a lot with it. It's got a lot of tears with it. It's, it's got a lot of smiles with it. It, it, is, it, is, it is often uh, pulled and driven by things that, that we feel, okay? And so uh, I'm going to give you a few examples of following your heart. Your health, okay? I can't listen to my heart when I'm hungry because if I'm in Walmart, and I'm hungry, and I listen to my heart, I will buy $200 worth of Hostess products, okay, because I'm following a, a feeling. And my mom, bless her heart, but that's how she raised us, Hostess. I was raised on Pop-Tarts, okay. We didn't have bacon and eggs and pancakes, and we didn't have gluten-free stuff. We had Pop-Tarts every day for my entire life, Pop-Tarts. 
strawberry Pop-Tarts and chocolate Pop-Tarts and cream-filled Pop-Tarts and whatever, brown sugar cinnamon. Can I get a witness, somebody? Anybody else? Yeah, raise them high. Did, did y'all know they have Pop-Tart Bites? I found this out yesterday. It's a miracle. God's moving in mysterious ways. Pop-Tart Bites, real small like this. I mean, just boom, pop it in. It's fantastic. Okay? I hate Taco Bell. But something happens to me after dark. It's like when the sun goes down, suddenly it looks delicious. Right? Listen, if you're craving Taco Bell after 10 o'clock, that's El Diablo. Right? No need to go after it. That, that's listening to our, our heart. I've seen some of you ordering at McDonald's, and everybody's like, McDonald's is not healthy. Please, I don't want anybody to see me in here. And I will see you in McDonald's, and you will act like I just caught you in a liquor store. I mean, you will, you will bow your head and find the nearest exit just because I've seen you in McDonald's. The heart wants what it wants, and, and, and we, we do that with our, our health. We're driven by the emotion of something. Finances. A member of one of our campuses, he, he bought his wife. He was telling one of our campus pastors this. He, he bought his wife a brand-new Cadillac Escalade, platinum trim, all-wheel drive, about four months later, he calls our campus pastor, and he's like, man, I'm really in trouble with this car. Like, I, I'm uncomfortable with, 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 with the payment. I'm losing sleep at night. I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just concerned about it. He said, all, all I wanted to do, I, I wanted to bless my wife with it, so I followed my heart. And now, what do I do? And our campus pastor said, brother, you got an Escalade heart, but you got a Pinto wallet, man. You got to, I, I don't know. Here it is. Do y'all like the horse in the background? I, this is what I think of when I think of driving out to the fields in my Ford Pinto. We've been picking on a Ford Pinto for a long time, right? Every, every time we talk about a bad car, there it is, Ford Pinto. That thing's ugly. Relationships. How many times have we been in a relationship and it's centered around what, what the emotions want? We've thought to ourselves, obviously, about relationships. We've thought, I'm not, using, I, I'm, I'm not using my heart. I'm not using my brain. I'm not even using common sense with this. This is not the right thing for me. But, but we get caught up in it, and, 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 and we think we want it. And because we think we want it, we think it's good for us and that it's healthy for us. Here's the, the big key. Follow Christ first, follow heart second. Let Christ be the loudest voice in your existence and let that get down into your heart. Okay? And from there, the Bible says everything we do is, is our, our whole existence is going to come up from what we've put deep into our, our heart. All right, and so follow Christ first, follow the heart second, okay? I want you guys to help me. I know it's, it's a low crowd, thus that creates low energy, but I want your involvement this morning, and I'm going to ask you to repeat two words with me repeatedly on these next four verses. Let's look at Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and 
follow me. John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Matthew 4, 19. Then he said to them, and I will make you fishers of men. I always love this one because I always stop after make you. Okay, so a lot of times I will will read this in context of he said to them, follow me and I will make you. I'll make you whatever. I will finish the calling of God on your life. I will make you a good husband. I will make you a good wife. I will make you a good dad. I will make you a good mom. I will make you a good laborer. I will finish it, okay, if you follow me. Okay, John 12. If anyone serves me, let him, and where I am, there my servant will also be. There's something about following him that that was very, very important to him. About come follow me, watch me, model me, do what I do. I I want to be in your life. I want to be your leader. I want to be your savior. Follow me, follow me, follow me. So let me give you a few principles this morning on following well. Because when we follow heart first, and follow Christ second, we get messed up, and we get messed up in a lot of things, but I want to talk about three areas, okay? It's, it's this one, lordship, who is going to be Lord? Number two, how you deal with temptation, and number three, how you are led by the Spirit. And all of these come into play when we talk about getting out of of alignment and priority of following our heart versus following Christ first. So the first one, and this is really for those of you who are on the fence this morning. You may be here, and you may not be a a Christian. You may be here, and you may be uh, someone who has gone back and forth. That You have these really hot moments, and you got these really cold moments. You may be somebody who was raised in church your whole life, but now in this particular season, this particular moment, this morning service finds you in a place where you're really kind of disconnected from God's role in your life. The, the stresses of being an adult feels like it's kind of pulled you away spiritually, and now you're so focused on the physical things and surviving and providing and Working on your spiritual health is like way out there. It's like a luxury to you, and you haven't quite got, gotten there. So you may be on, on the fence. So let me visit this with you for just a minute. You've got to decide right now who Jesus is to you. You've got, you've got a pick. You've got a choice to make. And it's one of the greatest things God ever gave us was will, the ability to choose him. There is no love that we can have for the Father if there were not free will. And I don't have time to preach it this morning, but that's why there were two trees to choose from. Because without a choice, there is no no love. If If my only choice is to pick you, that's not love. Love has to have another option. And so... 
when we look at deciding right now who Jesus is, let me just revisit this for just a moment. I was raised in church my entire life, my whole life. The second week I was born, that Sunday, my mom had me in church. Not had me, but had me. I was in church, and we were raised in a Pentecostal church, okay? Now, some of you are not going to understand this. You're going to leave there going, I have no idea what that is. But they used to put babies under the pew so they wouldn't get danced on. I'm not joking, okay? (laughs) Some of our Baptist folks are like, oh, God. Sorry, Kevin. Oh, the trauma, right? My parents were big time uh, serving in church, leading things, always involved, always helping. That, that was our home. Every time the doors were open, you've heard that statement before, our family was there. That was true of, of us. We were helping with everything. My father was very handy, so he was always painting and fixing and organizing and driving buses and fixing buses and, and just helping with things. My mom was organized, and she would lead stuff, and she would teach stuff, and she was in the choir, and she would do administrative stuff, and, and so we were always there, always, and they were always in, in the thick of things. I knew if there was a door that was closed with a group of people meeting, that's where my folks were. But I had to make a choice. Even though I was submerged in church, it was not until my, my middle teens that I actually made a conscious decision to follow Christ. Even though I'd been inundated with it my entire life, there was a part of me that it was just so normal to me. It was just something else our family did. But there was my mid-teens, there was like this significant experience custom design for me where I realized that no matter what my parents believed about the local church or about Jesus Christ or about eternity, that I was not connected to their faith. I had to choose for myself the lordship of Jesus Christ. I had to make that that, that choice. So Matthew chapter 16 Verse 13, we're about to see something amazing unfold. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And in Matthew 16, 13, it says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? It's very important. This was a personal inquiry of Jesus Christ. He wanted to know, All right, what, what, what do people think about me? I mean, I've, I've been out here ministering. I'm tired. I got my life's energy out there. I've been revealing heaven. I've been performing miracles. I'm getting mixed signals. And he asked those closest to him, I know you guys are, are in, in the city. I know, I know you hear from people who aren't part of our inner circle. What are people saying about me? Verse 14, they start speaking up. They reply, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah. You're one of the prophets. In verse 15, he turns it on them. What about you? Pretty significant. What about you, he says? Who do you say 
I am. Simon Peter jumped out in verse 16. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Wouldn't that be an amazing moment to be a part of? Peter, as brash and bold as he is, he's like, I'm going to go first. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus immediately says this to him, blessed are you, Simon. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Big deal, big moment, big, big time of rev- revelation. He's, he's trying to figure out where they are personally with him. Here's why I believe this is so. A lot of people, and some of you that I've already mentioned who are on the fence or you're in a colder season or spirituality is way out there, here's, here's what a lot of people tend to do. They make Christ a consultant but they don't make him Lord. So they, they make him this, this entity who they run to in times of trouble. Help me to get out. Help me fix this. I, I need a solution. But the day-to-day lordship of lead me, guide me, direct me. I want to have a father-son, a father-daughter relationship with you help me with that is not on the radar. It's only when I'm overwhelmed, when I'm beyond my own ability, that then I go and say, God, I need some consulting. There's a big difference between consultant and Lord, right? And there's a huge difference between I need some help and I need you to be a part of my life every day. Now watch this and then I'm going to move on. I don't know if you've ever had a teacher that wanted you to ace something so badly they hinted the answer to you. Kind of hinted around what it it was. They wanted to help you. Parents, I don't know, how, how many of you, when helping your children learn something, you give them a little hint just to bring them up to a eureka moment, right? You just, you kind of reveal something. Well, Jesus wanted us to get this question who do you say that I am, so badly that he puts the answer in the question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He gives them the answer. And Peter uses a word that is so full of meaning. He says, you are my. You are my. This phrase means everything. When we say, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, you are the Son of the living God, and you are mine. You are my Messiah. This is defining. This phrase means all of it. Listen, when Robbie and I were, were dating, I would occasionally see someone else. Robbie called it two-timing. I called it having a unique set of skills. And she was frustrated, and she asked me, who am I to you? Listen, guys, when, when a lady comes to you with a, and starts with a question, you're on dangerous ground. Who am I to you? This question defines a relationship. 
Who am I to you? This is what Jesus wanted to know. Who do you say? Okay, you've told me what everybody else is saying, but what I want to know now is who do you say that I am? And I think that question is still ringing through, and it will continue to ring through every single generation and every heart who will listen. Who do you say that I am? Not what your parents say, not what Kevin thinks, not what your life group leader thinks, not what any other person in your life with influence thinks. Who do you say that I am? And we have to have a response to it. It's not until we figure out who he is that blessings come. If we follow this scripture, it reveals that when Simon said, you are the son of the living God, and he said, blessed are you, Simon, that blessings come when we figure it out. When we hear, when we follow Christ first and the heart gets it, blessings come. It's like the, the, the order of it. When we hear it, when the heart picks it up, blessings can fill our life when we understand that he is the Messiah. Second thing, when you are tempted, your heart will lie. Again, in Bible times, using the word heart equated to the word emotion. And when we are tempted, our heart Our emotions want what they want. When Jesus was tempted, he was very quick to trust the word to refute Satan's thoughts for him. And when you are tested, it is very important who you put your trust in. And right now, and this is going to happen in the next couple of three weeks, I'm putting together a a message about temptation about what that looks like in modern society. What, what is it to be tempted? And why is it so important to have safeguards up to be able to keep it at bay because it's going to happen? So this is just a small intro to what's going to follow. When we're tested, it's important who we put our trust in. When something happens... Who do we put our trust in? Who are we looking to and saying, God, I need some help right now in this temptation in my life? Do we go to the Word? Are we going to the Father? Are we trying to hear from Jesus Christ? Testing and trusting, they have to go hand in hand. When I was in third grade, our playground outside had a fort. And it had a second level to it. So you, inside the fort, there were all these little like, like benches that were built into the walls. And you could go in there and play and set things up. And, but there was a stairwell. And you could climb the stairwell. And it just had a platform. I have no idea because it was open air. I mean, you could literally leap off the top of it. And my good friend David Summers had found a, a sidewalk paver and carried it up there. And he decided to play a game called catapult this onto Kevin's head. And so he takes his paver and launches it. He sees me underneath and he's like, I think I can, you know, get the right trajectory and probably knock him out with this. And he throws it over. And sure enough, he hits me on the, on the head with it. I didn't catch the full weight, but it buckled my knees and blood immediately came. I mean, profusely. 
And my teacher was a, a manly man. I'm a big, tall guy, burly, big old beard. And, and I ran over to him. I was covered with blood. It was dripping down my face and was starting to cover my shirt. And I ran to him, and he kind of started backing up like, don't put that on me. And, and so I said, am I going to die? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> That's not what you want to hear when you need to trust somebody. With I said, I, I, I think, I think I'm gonna die. And he was like, We need to find your mom. And so they called my mom, who was working at the church, and she runs out to the playground, and she's got got full mama mode. I mean, you can just see it coming. She's not scared, but she's like determined. And I see her coming, and she sees me covered in, in blood, and I just start running to her, and I said, am I going to die? And she grabs me by the shoulders, and she said, can you follow my, my finger? And I said, yeah. And she says, you're, you're going to make it. And I was like, that's the only neurological test you're going to do? And that's it? I'm okay? But I trusted it. I trusted what she said. I, I remember hearing her say, you're going to be okay. And it was like strength. You know, it was just like... I just knew, even though I was losing a lot of blood, I just knew that I was going to be okay. It was like all the anxiety started going away. When we get tempted, we have to hand in hand put trust into God, and we need to hear then from Christ, not from the heart. If we listen to the heart in moments of temptation, there's a strong probability that we will end up falling to that, that temptation. Number three, and this is where I really wanted to spend most of my time today, but the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I want, I want to talk about this for just a minute because a lot of us, um, a lot of you, and I only know this because of the personal conversations we've had over the past five, five years, a lot of you are great with God. And a lot of you are great with Jesus. But when you get into studying the Holy Spirit, you don't know much about him. And so to you, he's, he's eerie, he's mysterious, he's spooky. And so you almost, in your mind, I don't want to be sacri-religious, but in your mind, it's, you almost get an imagery of like Casper. So it's like you, you think of the Holy Spirit, and you actually think of like a ghostly image that does spooky things, that primarily hangs out with the Pentecostals. <laughs> it's true. I'm, y'all are laughing because you know I'm right. Like, yeah, we, we don't have the Spirit over here. He's hanging out at the uh, Pentecostal church this morning. That's where he goes Sunday mornings, 9 o'clock. When you're following your own heart, it's difficult to follow the Holy Spirit. But watch this. God gave the Son. The Son gave the Spirit. The Spirit gave gifts, and those gifts produce a nudge in us, okay? Let me give you an example of what a, a, a nudge is. It's like you're going about your day, and you get this overwhelming feeling to help, to say something, to do something, to buy someone's lunch, to encourage somebody. To buy somebody a sandwich, to help somebody with gas, 
a scripture comes to your mind and you believe. It's like out of the blue. You believe that you're supposed to share that scripture with somebody else. And the world has told you that's weird. But what I'm telling you is that's a nudge of the Holy Spirit in you. That he knows so much more about what's going on. There's a greater reality. And our lives become an adventure when we're open to an interruption of the Holy Spirit to take care of somebody else, to look outside of our own organized, comfortable world and do something for somebody else. If it's been a while since you've read about the role of the Holy Spirit, let me give you a quick refresher. Now, I don't have the time to delve into this the way I want to, so I'm going to give you three sections of Scripture, and I want you to look this up later. The first one I want to talk about is the fruits of the Spirit. This is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Most of you learned this as a little jingle in VBS when you were growing up. But as an adult, this needs to mean something more to you. And so the fruit of the Spirit is something that comes to us, through us. It is part of our discipleship. We start to develop this fruit as we enter into a sanctification process, meaning becoming more and more and more like Christ and less and less and less like ourselves. He says, love is going to be present. This is a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That right there is an entire series that we could go for weeks on. Self-control, the ability for you to stand in the middle of what your heart wants. It wants you to do that, and it wants you to go over here and, and participate in that. And it's, it's got all these little things that it wants, and you're able to go, no. Self-control. But then there are two big scriptures or texts about gifts of the Spirit. Meaning that the Holy Spirit has looked at your life and has said with great intent, that's what I want that person to have. I'm going to give you a gift and I want you to use it and develop it and edify the body of Christ with it. And these are found in Romans chapter 12, 6 through 8. And these are big, okay? And again, man, I don't have time. I wish I did. But prophecy... And some of, of you think that this is, uh, this is always, th this is why some of y'all go, okay, I'm out, okay? And then you start the whole Casper thing. is because you get, you get it's, it's like somebody standing in front of you and going, I'm going to tell you what your phone number is, okay? That's not prophecy. Okay, prophecy is not, is not this thing where you go to a convention center and somebody's up there with a microphone and a towel that says Holy Ghost on it and, and they're knocking people down and they're going, I'm going to tell you your phone number is 501-230. You know, if, if that happened to me, I would say, tell me something I don't know. I know what my phone number is. Prophecy is, is, is having an understanding of a mystery, of the will of God, of being able to unfold something, and it is very life-giving, and, it, and, it, and it's not, it, it doesn't come across eerie. I hope that makes sense, man. I need to spend some time preaching that. Prophecy, service, gifts of service. 
The reason some of you serve so well is because it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. You serve well. You think about other people. You, you, want, you want to put your hands somewhere in their life and fix something and do something and make it better. You come into this place and you serve, 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 serve. Why? Because it's a gift of the Holy Spirit on your life. It's almost innate. It's very natural to you. Nobody has to teach you how to do it. Why? Because it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Gift of teaching, exhortation, or encouragement. Some of you walk around just telling people how great they are and how much you love them and how great of, of, of a mom they are and how great of a dad they are and how beautiful their kids are and on and on and on. Why? Because you have a gift for it. Then there's giving. Some of you are incredible givers. Some of you not so much. But some of you, great givers. Why? Because it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. You, you just freely give. It's what I have, it's what God, God bless me, and it's nothing for you, nothing. There's no struggle, there's no striving, there's no second guessing. You just want to bless the, the church, the ministry. It's a gift, a gift of giving. Leadership, mercy. Some of you are great at just mercy, just telling people, it's okay. It's all right, don't, wait. don't, don't worry about it, I'm serious, don't worry about it, let it go. And you just kind of have this gift in your life of, of just letting stuff roll off. It's mercy. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12. This is where some of y'all check out too. Gifts of wisdom. Some of you know what to do and when to do it. Why? It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not because you're talented. It's not because you've had life experiences. It's because the Holy Spirit is active in your life. Faith. Some of you have big faith. Now, we've all been given the measure of faith, but some of you have a gift for it. And when we ask you to pray for something, you go to God and you believe him for it to manifest. You believe God's going to give you that job. God's going to bless your house. God is going to help us with this church. God's going to forward this ministry. God's going to bless other churches in town. God's going to do this. God's going to do that. Why? Because you simply just believe. It's a gift of faith. Healing. I wish we had more of this. I wish we had somebody in our church with a gift of healing. That doesn't always have to be miraculous. Words can heal. Actions can heal. Friendships can heal. Sometimes we put healing in a box and we think, unless somebody you know, grew a leg or somebody was raised from the dead or somebody was blind, sees that it's not healing, not true. Miracles. Okay, that's obvious. I'm out of time. i got to move on. Prophecy. Prophecy is the only one that's mentioned twice. Discernment. My mama had, had this, and I wish she hadn't, but she did. She would say things like, I know what you're up to. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, no, you don't. I really do. What am I up to? And she would categorize it. Well, on Monday you did this, and on Tuesday you did this, and on Wednesday you did this, and on Thursday you did this, and on Friday you did this twice. And I would just walk away, shaking my head. God, why you got to do these things to me? The ability to discern what's right, what's wrong, it almost is married into wisdom. And then you got the two that most of y'all bail on, tongues and interpretation of tongues. I'll say, well, right there, that's the reason I only believe in God and the Son. 
that these were gifts to edify the body. And these incredible things are happening. And here's what happens. When we follow our heart, we forfeit the fruit and the gifts in our lives. We undermine them. You may be loaded with fruit of the Spirit. You may be loaded with gifts of the Spirit. But when you follow your heart first, you sabotage what God is trying to do through you and in you. Romans 8, real, 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 real quick. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. To be led by the Spirit of God makes you a son of God. All right, I'm going to give you this quick application in 60 seconds because I'm scaring people. But I know those of you who are taking notes will panic if I don't finish this. How can I know the difference then between what my heart is saying and what the Spirit is saying? Your heart will speak to your emotions. The Spirit will speak to your instinct. He comes as an intuition, almost as a sixth sense. It's something spiritual. And unless you develop that, it's always going to feel foreign to you. You've got to understand what it means when the Spirit is speaking to you and that feeling that you have when that happens. Okay, so the heart speaks to emotions. Spirit will speak to your instinct. Second, the heart is often undecided, but the spirit will speak with order and wisdom. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it will have order to it, and it will make sense. It will have wisdom attached to it. Third, the heart can speak from fear, but the spirit will speak from authority and revelation. You will gain confidence when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You can have a friend. Think about Brother Noah. When they said, Noah, why are you building this boat? Because God told me to. That's where his confidence lies. And there are going to be things in your life when God speaks to you. It's going to come with authority and revelation. You're going to have clarity on it. But your heart would be full of fear. I can't do this. What are people going to say about me? What are people going to think? What's my wife going to think? Am I going to embarrass my kids? On and on and on. But the Holy Spirit tells you, this is what I want you to do. Okay? Why don't you bow your heads with me? I want to pray.